0: I don't fully understand the science of podcasting. I, I, I you know, I dabble, but I don't, um, but I don't have a like a mission for it. And uh, so it's interesting to hear hear about it, hear about the business of it, to make it continue to thrive, right? Yeah, and 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 to create the following
1: and create the momentum. Are you doing video only, audio only, both? How are you? Mm-hmm. Is it a vlog compared to the? How do you promote it? What platforms you promote it on? Yeah. And everybody got a, and everybody has a a, a podcasting
0: training, right? <laughs> and then, yeah, then was, exactly. Like, How to make your podcast worldwide famous? <laughs> there you go. Two hundred thirty nine dollars. <laughs> Join up now.
1: Yeah. And you only have twenty four hours. The county the, tech, the clock <laughs> begins now. Exactly. You're like, this,
0: this mysterious
1: secret will be gone if you don't pay right. Now. <laughs> if you don't get it right now, <laughs> and it's like tap tap tap. You, we're waiting for you. Welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. My name is Ashanti Branch, and I'm really glad you joined us. Today's conversation is with Mark Green. Uh, Mark Green is a senior editor for the Good Men Project. He's an author of two amazing books, one, Remaking Manhood, and The Little Me Too Book for Men. You know, this conversation takes on a different tone than some of our past conversations. Uh, Mark has been doing writing thousands of articles around men topics well definitely they've been shared thousands of times but we didn't talk about the counts on twitter and the followers and things like that we talked about these masks that we wear in this work as we try and support men to do their work how our mask sometimes still shows up how amazing Uh, it was a beautiful conversation um after it was over i was like man i could talk to you for hours uh and i'm looking forward to building a connection that goes on long past this one conversation. So I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. If you like what you hear, please share it with someone. Please uh, subscribe. Please give us a rating of a five so that others can find this podcast just like you did. Um, If you want to make a mask, you can go to 100kmasks.com. That's the number 100, 100, 100, 100kmasks.com. And make a mask and join this movement. Uh, Connect us with, Educators, teachers who you know, who are trying to support students in their schools, definitely around young men becoming more of their true, authentic selves. The goal in the Million Mask Movement is to help people around the world realize they are not alone. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you soon.
0: Yes, we have a little publishing house called Big Play Partners. We have three books and plus uh, two children's books. And uh, for us, that was a really comfortable way to go forward because it, it gave us complete control over uh, distribution and, and, you know, how often we could do whatever we needed to do to promote the book. So I give, a, I give a lot of copies of the book away. I mean, I'm really, it's really about getting it into certain people's hands so they can, uh, they can think through some of the stuff that we care about
1: you know i've been reading through uh um parts of remaking manhood i really appreciate you sharing your personal story in there um you know we have a we have a book club and i was trying actually john bought the book the the little me two book for men for the young men for the Mm -hmm. summer leadership academy and um the the summer went so fast that's five weeks six weeks we were with them so uh we have a book club that's starting now and i think actually now that i when, when you sent me remaking Manhood, i think that one actually feels like where I where it probably it's more storytelling. And I yes. think that's the part I think for the young men is easier for them to grab on to. Cool. Right. The, you know,
0: there's a lot of people that say that's the book. There's other people that say in the in the corporate world, there's a lot of folks who really appreciate the Me Too book because it yeah. breaks things down and, and and creates some self-reflection about, you know, how we got to where we are. Yeah. But, um, but John Lovett, do you, do you know him? He's a, he's an MKP brother and he's a big mover and shaker with the better man conference. And
1: I sort of know that a, name. I see his yeah, emails he's the guy
0: behind a lot of stuff. He's, he's a big fan of remaking manhood. he's like, I, I don't care about me too book. Give me the remaking manhood. book. So I'm, I have another one of those coming out too. actually another, a new one It's called the, um, the hammer and the anvil. And it's about masculinity in the age of Trump. Okay. And so I'm going to try to get that out soon if I can, but I'm Man. not going to mention Trump, but that's what it basically is. It's everything that came out after 2016 that I've written. So. Oh, we,
1: well, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm in the, pro, I'm in the writing process, so I'm excited about that. So we'll, we'll, um, we'll talk about it. So welcome. Let me just, uh, I'm going to just clap us off. So we got a, a marker and um, welcome uh, to the Taking Off the Mass podcast. I'm glad to have you on the show with us today. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Ashanti. Thank you. You know, one of the things that we do with our guests is uh, we, for our audience who may not know you, Mark Green, will you just tell us a little bit about yourself? You know what? Take a minute or so. and Tell us, you know, what have you been up to? What are you doing? Like, what is what is your work to the world? And um, and then we'll jump in.
0: OK, well, I uh, about 12 years ago, I started blogging about fatherhood and very quickly after that began writing for the Good Men Project uh, about masculinity and about all the stuff that I saw. Not only coming at my son who was uh, born, uh, but but then I started seeing all the way people were reacting and responding to me because I was a stay-at-home dad and sort of a primary caregiver to him. And and once you step outside sort of the rules of traditional masculinity and start doing things that that are a little different, um, the world very quickly starts sending you messages. And and I, I got curious about that right away. I was like, well, what is what's going on here? And Subsequently, I've done a lot of work, uh, studied work by other folks like Niobe Way and Judy Chu, and and sort of put together a set of ideas that, that, that are about how man box culture impacts us as boys and men and, and trains us into certain ways of being in the world. And and for me, your work is very central to that. In fact, I, I, I remember the first time I saw you uh, talking about the mask process in, uh, in, in the documentary. Uh, and And I immediately uh, felt a strong kinship to that way of thinking that we're, that we're hiding, all of us, many of us were hiding a very different internal dialogue from the one we present. So that's what my work's been about for years. And I I, I continue to do that work both for corporate clients who want to sort of help the men in their organizations think a little differently, but I also care very much about men's work. And and I like to sit in men's circles and share my stories and, and hear theirs.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. You know, I see you on Twitter a lot and it's just really um, adding to this conversation that we can't keep things going the way they used to go. We can't mm-hmm. keep operating like it used to be because we're in a new world. We're in a new day, you know? And I think today's conversation, you know, um, I, I tell the guests, um, it's not really an interview as a, as more of it is a conversation, right? For yeah. us to get to know each other a little bit better. You know, yeah. I think we use this mask as a tool of connection, uh, we say, look, it's one picture, six words, yeah. just to connect. And I think one of the things that we're, we've been working on um, as a supplement to the, the podcast, like this kind of conversation between me and a person is inviting anyone, two men, two, a boy, a, and a younger man, an older man, to come together, make a mask, and just talk about their mask together. Mm. I think that what we realize is there's so much going on outside of – what we can see, like our eyes see certain things, our eyes tell us, oh, this is what that person is about. Like, and sometimes our eyes are fooling us because of our old messaging or our old patterns. And so uh, that's what these conversations have been about. And I think, you know, we, I believe that the more that we can begin recognizing that there's more going on than what we can see, I think the deeper our connection can be with each other. And I think we need that so much more in our world today than
0: ever before. Um, you know, what's we- interesting to me, too, is, you know, people have this story about boys and men that we, we don't want we don't want to talk. Yeah. Um, I think that's a reflection of a world that tells us not to. Yeah. But how quickly, a, you know, something like this will begin a real conversation tells me that men are, are, actually do want to have these conversations, boys and men both. So.
1: Yeah. And we see that. We see that with the campaign. We see, man, we see men when they get to a place i saw one yesterday i was looking at it was just the picture was captivating and then the words were just like oh just like it was like a 17 year old 16 year old young man who i just felt like a deep connection with and i'm like what where was i I, there was nothing where i could talk about what i was going through when i was 16 or 15 or 14 or even younger right there was i Hmm. just kept it to yourself you just
0: yeah, you, there you was suck. no,
1: there was no conversation. There was wasn't a no conversation. Happened. That's right. Or outlet. Yeah. So I, I think that that is an opportunity for us and the work that you're doing with, with, with words, like with writing. Like, I I in all because I, I want to write. I, I, have, I have a book that I'm trying to write, but I'm afraid of writing. So the, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm, we're going to jump into that in a minute. But like, so when I, when I, when I see your work, you know, the Remaking Manhood and the Little Me Too Book for Men, like, Man, I'm like, and I see you on Twitter. I'm like, how does he have time? He writes so, like, you, you're a writer. Yeah. Like, you, like, I'm like, oh, okay. We're, we're going to get to the writing. So, so thank you for the work because it, 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 oh. inspires, um, it, it inspires me. And I, as often as I can, I try and share it with people who I know um, so they can hopefully be inspired to do something. Not just to think about it. Not just to hear it. Mm-hmm. Not just to have a conversation about it, but to, like, do something.
0: That's going to make a, a shift in their communities, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say the, um the more I do work in this in this larger group of people who are who care about masculinity and care about boys and men's connection in the world, the more I I meet people who have such a a rich quality about them of connection. Just it, you just feel it, right? You just feel this moment of. This is another one of my brothers. This is another one of the men in the world who's here to um, to create this healthier version of, of being a human being. Whether you're a man or a woman or non-gender binary, whatever you are, we we're. Here, I mean, this is what we're here for, right? Connection. This is it. And the fact that we've been fooled into thinking that some sort of dominant masculine hard, you know, hidden version of being a man is going to give us the successful life we seek, we've been fooled into believing that stuff by a culture that sort of sort of beats it into us. Um, but ultimately, the men I run into in men's work and, and uh, elsewhere, um, a lot of us are waking up. I woke up very late in my life, very late in my life. To, to, these ideas and my son's birth sort of was the thing that began that process for me, but, but I, I didn't do my mankind project weekend, which is a, which is a it's men's work that I did it, you know, there are a lot of different organizations, human and every man and MKP and, and, um, just, and smaller organizations and, and for any man out there, who's beginning to get this sort of sense that something's just missing. And they may have success financially. They may have a big family. They may have a good marriage. They may have all this stuff, and still have this feeling that something fundamental is missing for them. Then I recommend men's work as a way to connect with other men. But but when I didn't get there till I was fifty-six, so I spent half a century sort of caught in this tangle of lack of self-esteem and and fear of being called out by the other men in man box culture and all the struggles of being a human being that were rooted in disconnection. So I feel really lucky now to be meeting, every time I meet a man like you or, or, or other men in this work, I I just feel a, a sense of warmth and connection that that I've been missing for a long, long time.
1: You know, when you when you talked about that part of like waiting till you were 56 to do your Mankind Project, I think I was... I mean, I did it. I don't know how old I was. I was definitely in my 30s. Mm. Um, it was kind of like this idea that where has this been? Like, where has this been? Why hasn't there been a space? You know, when uh, I mean, I, in my community, the rights of pastors to become a man was like, get your license, have sex, start drinking. learn how, You know, you start doing these things in the community that says, oh, now, you all he's a man. He's the man. Right. Mm. And I think that what they confused was he's the man as to he's a man because there was no way of proving you were a man so you always had to be the. you had to have the money the girls the cars the the stuff that the man has and i think that that began to be what i i measured up against because you know there there was no father in my my father died before i was born so my mom did the best she could but my mom i'm really thankful for the qualities and skills my mom taught me but yeah. there was also, she, they were lacking because she she couldn't teach me how to be a man. She could tell me, oh, she could be like, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. You know, like I used yeah. to talk, I used, I've always talked with my hands. Like I just, I, I get energ- yeah. like energized yeah, with, yeah. when I'm talking, right? And I remember her in her, not in a, it was really confusing to me. She was like, stop, put your hands down. She would like smack my hand. I'm like. I'm trying to tell you a story. Why are you hitting me? You know, I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. like what do you because in her mind, our community, like if you're talking with your hands, it means that you're feminine or that you're whatever. And so her yeah. trying to protect her little boy from not like existing yeah. in a world where for a man to have feminine traits is dangerous, is negative, it's not safe, it's all those things. But it was confusing to me because I don't know why she's hit why she's like not letting me tell yeah. my story. I just wanna I have right. a great story I wanna tell you. Like What's wrong with you? Then I get mad and I walk away because I don't want to tell the story no more. Right. So you get yeah. shut down. You, you get shut down from being who your true self. And I think those are the things that happens, I think, with young men and boys all over. And then we become men who don't tell your stories because you remember those old shutdowns and those recordings yeah. start replaying. And mm-hmm. then what happens? Well, you, you should repeat the cycle. You like no one wants to hear my story. I'll just keep it to myself. Right, and those are old recordings that you have as kid, as a little kid, that yeah. shows up in your adult life. I think uh, Jerry Colonna, who um, wrote the book uh, Reboot, talks about uh, and like the subroutines, right? The things that happen behind yeah. the scenes yeah. that, ha- that you did as child just to exist and survive. That now they they show up in your adulthood. and, and yeah. You don't even know why they're happening, right? Which is the shadow, right? Which we talk about in the MKP work—the shadow, the stuff we ignore, deny, repress—that mm-hmm. shows up again. We just don't know why it's showing up, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, the, this for, for your listeners who don't know about the history of this term, man box, um, a guy named Paul Kivel in the 80s, he, he, he conceptualized it. He called it the act like a man box. And basically, he went around to boys in high school and said, you know, what are the rules for being a man? And they all gave him the same set of rules. You know, don't show your emotions have control over girls and women, make a lot of money, have a lot of sex. If you talk, talk about sex, money, you know, or work, don't talk about anything deep, be heterosexual, don't be homosexual. And if you look at the, if this is the culture of masculinity we grew up in, this is a culture of what we do, not who we are. So this man box culture doesn't care who we are, you know, authentically. It, it, It only cares that we keep hitting these markers all the time, right? So when your mom slaps your hands down, she's both acknowledging that there's a set of rules out there for being a man. And if you don't perform them correctly, you're going to be in danger out there. But what she's also doing is um, reinforcing this set of rules about masculinity, which basically you're left with, okay, I'm mad. I don't want to tell my stories anymore. So I'm just going to hit these markers. I'm going to, I'm going to learn to drive a car. I'm going to make money. I'm going to get women. And so suddenly the world says, Oh yeah, you can do that stuff all day. Good luck with that. Go for it. But the end result is we have a bunch of uh, markers that we have to prove over and over again. Uh, You know, it doesn't matter how much money you made yesterday, how much did you make today? It's a, it's a hamster wheel, right? And it goes on and on and on. And some of us wake up at 56 and go, I have no, I have no connection in my life. I have none. I have these markers. I did some of this stuff. I did it to the best of my ability, but I have no, I have this big empty hole in my life. This, this gaping empty spot in the middle of me that there should be meaningful friendships in. And I got talked at all those. Niobe Way's work, Judy Chu's work. I mean, uh, Niobe Way's book, Deep Secrets. She, she explains exactly how boys, in early adolescence say, I love my best friend and I'd go crazy without him. And four years later, those same boys are saying, well, I don't want to be a little kid girly or gay, so I'm disconnecting from those. That's and true. their, their suicide rates become four times that of girls at their age. And we're literally training boys out of connection and into these status markers and, and God help us, you know, that's, that's really dangerous. And I think what you said about the markers
1: is is absolutely critical, right? Like, and I think for men, and I tell educators this all the time, your boys in your class, maybe the ones you live with or you raise, you're never done proving that you're a man. Mm-hmm. Like, right. like if you go have sex one time with a girl, like according to our society that says this is what you makes you a real man, you oh, you only you only have one? Oh, I've been with five. You only, oh, you only got one phone number. I got yeah. ten. Like it's yeah. always, you, it's always a, another comparison. And I think that's what this quote says: "The comparison is a thief of all happiness." So if we yeah. spend our time comparing ourselves to others and to what they have, we're gonna always be miserable and never enough. And I think society is clear on that, right? No matter what kind of car you got, oh, you didn't get the newest one though. Your car is last year's model, right? And it's like if you're not careful, huh. you can be chasing the keep yourself proving it and it's not really what you're looking for the the connection is what you're usually looking for the connection and i think that we see it with young men all the time and and our work is like look like what tell me what is what scares you the most right this idea of being disconnected from others and so if you're believing the only way you can be connected is to keep proving it Hmm. i mean i I think the the rules the the rules are clear whether you're i mean seven seven years old I, i had a parent um, at a elementary school, second grade, kids in hmm. second grade. She said one day her son came home and said, Mom, what is gay? <laughs> right? Because him and his yeah. best friend, they share lunch. They sit next to each other. They pass food. They Fair share day. lunch. And here this kid comes over and be like, what are you two doing? oh, you two are, and he didn't know what it meant, but he knew the word was negative because of the image and the, the energy he got from the other kids who were calling them gay, these second graders who were sharing their lunch and having a great time. Yeah. And then the mom is like, well, how do I keep him being his loving, beautiful self mm-hmm. and protect him from the world who says, you, you can't sit too close to your friend. You can't share food like that. Like all the messages that happen
0: well, and the out. other thing, if you notice these rules, when someone says, oh, I, I've had sex five times, you've had it once. That's how you operate a hierarchical, a hierarchy, a domination-based hierarchical where every boy and man is slotted in a certain level. And then you compare notes. I mean, and we do this in very benign ways. You know, you walk into a bar with five other guys you never met before. Everybody looks each other over figure out who makes the most money, who, whose football team's the better one. And we rank ourselves very quickly in that context. And somebody gets to be the alpha and everybody else you know, does the microaggressions and figures out how that's all going to operate. We, are, we have been trained into the idea that the hierarchy is all that matters. And the dark side of that, the dangerous side of that is that ultimately uh, that's a domination-based structure. And sooner or later, push comes to shove and we're, in, we're expected to dominate everybody below us on that hierarchy while we accept it from everybody above us. And if we fail to dominate the people below us, we lose status and move down. And that adds to the number of the people that are going to dominate us. So boys are left with this decision, right? We cut them off from connection. We, we literally, two boys are having this important friendship. And what Niobe Wade, just these young boys in early adolescence say, without this relationship, I would go crazy. Our culture is constantly telling them, "What are you, little kid, girly, or gay? Quit! Don't you know?" And these boys, then, like one boy in late adolescence, describes his best friend. He says, "Yeah, my best friend still lives around the corner, but I don't don't talk to him that much anymore. That friendship's kind of on a crossfade." He says, "Yeah." And they're disconnecting from these relationships, and their suicide rates are increasing dramatically. And then they enter into an adulthood where, pretty much, every single measure of manhood is isolating, because they have to compete with every other man, and they're worried about being policed by every other man. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it enough? So we end up carrying all this anxiety about whether we're doing it well enough, and ultimately, we end up not trusting each other. Not only do we not have friendships, we literally don't trust each other. Mm -hmm. My work on the carpet at at the MKP weekend, I stood on the carpet when it was my turn, and I said, because of everything that's happened in my life, starting with my brutal brother when I was a kid and coming right on up through, I I don't, I don't like men. I don't trust men. I hate men. And then I said, and I'm, I'm sick to death of being alone. I'm sick of it. And those men said, well, you want to trust us? I said, I might as well try. I mean, I might as well. And from that point forward, I've begun to form friendships that really fill that That gap, you know, it's not enough to be married. It's not enough to have a family and kids. It's not enough to have these surface level relationships at the gym or at work. We men need these circles of of really meaningful friendships that resource us when we're in a crisis, when we're having a health issue. And sooner or later, all that stuff in the man box, we're going to age out of being able to compete. (laughs) And that gets ugly fast, you know? Oh, man.
1: I, I I had a, 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 someone invite me to be on this podcast called The Midlife Crisis or something. And I was like, midlife? I ain't in midlife. What are you talking about? I'm young. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. People in my family, my we don't live to 95 years old. Like, what am I talking about? I am. And I was like, oh, man. And it really began to like, when I first got invited, I was like, "Who? how dare you invite me to midlife stuff, right? <laughs> like, Because I keep telling myself I'm super young. And then you're like... Oh, wait a minute. I, I'm 40. I'm 45. Like that's, wait a minute. That's, that's a real thing. And yeah. I had never, I never even thought about it before. I had never even thought about it. I remember when I turned yeah. 30, I had a, a moment of like, don't buy me no cake. I'm not having no party. Like my mom wanted to yeah, throw me a yeah, party yeah. at there. I'm like, no, 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 we're not doing that. Are you crazy? Yes. But, but I think that now that I'm, I'm I've accepted it, <laughs> that I'm at least 30 right now that yeah. is like, okay, that's, that's real. Like, that. Where, where do you go to talk about that stuff if you don't have a safe place of men to say, man, I'm starting to feel certain. I'm, I'm starting to wonder about my health. Like, my health is starting to feel like it's, it's, yeah. it's fragile, right? I yep. go from being fearless, right? When you talk about the mm-hmm. five-year-old, like, fearless, jumping off of tables. Like, I, hmm, that table looks like I can jump off of it. And you're just jumping off of everything. And yeah. now I don't even want to step down, you know, three steps at a time, you know, without yeah. – feeling like I'm not gonna twist my ankle and then be on you know, all the the new part of growing up. And I think that because the rites of passage has been so I think indestructed, um, deconstructed, we don't we don't have a place where say now you're accepted into the realm of men. And right. then you're gonna go into this second phase of being a, a young elder and then you're gonna go into elderhood. We don't I don't right. even, I know we didn't talk about it in my family about it. So some communities I may mean, not ever talk about this journey of your
0: yeah. your life and the legacy you leave behind. And so. Well, we've all seen it. How many men um, my age are, are killing themselves to prove they can still out drink everybody and out, out uh, perform everybody in every one of these, these sort of measures. And it's tragic to watch. I mean, it's just tragic, right? To watch men because man box culture essentially says you have no value. If you don't keep hitting these markers but I, I also am often in conversations with people who may, like, uh, you know, Jenna Arnold and I were talking a while back and she said, oh yeah, I, I, I know a few people who are pretty well off. And she said, what's interesting is I'll, I'll meet people um, who may have been at the top, I mean, of major organizations. Like they were the person who are like now in their eighties and they, they are no longer Able to do that work. And they just kind of wander around, you know? They don't have all the status and power and influence because as men in man box culture, we don't have to be brutal and cruel. We can just be extremely successful and that can continue to feed our validation. For the few men who make it to the very top, they probably last in those roles until they're in their early 70s. But sooner or later, All of us are just a guy walking around by the lake, right? And those men who sort of fed on that narcotic of success and status and then had, and they still have, yes, nice to meet you. uh, You did amazing things, but now you don't have the business influence. You don't have the connections. You don't have the power. So nice to meet you, but I'm moving on because this man box world doesn't value you anymore. Yeah. That's tough, man. That's tough. So we have to have the connection. That's what men have to have. And I'm going to throw one more thing in here. There's a study that comes out of Europe and I should have all this like blocked in, but, uh, but the study that I learned about was the health impact of social isolation on men who were married. And there's a larger health, you know, social isolation issue in America, you know, about all this stuff that, that, you know, Cigna did a study in twenty eighteen that said half of all Americans, all ages, all genders, are feel sometimes they're always alone, and that level of social isolation has a health impact equivalent to smoking. I don't know. They said fifteen cigarettes a day, so it increases the level of heart disease and cancer and, and, and diabetes and and Alzheimer's. And I mean, it literally, being we're, we're social animals, and when we are isolated, it's very bad for us. But this one study out of Europe. Said that men who were in happy marriages with families who did not have a robust collection of male friendships suffered the same detrimental heart disease impact as men who were unmarried. So it's not enough, this idea that, that we then kick, you know, break off all our friends, close friendships with our, with our guy friends when we're getting ready to go to college and we find a girlfriend and we marry her and she's all of our emotional validation, that puts an insane load on her and puts an insane load on us and it doesn't work. And it, and we end up facing the same isolation, health impacts as, as people who have no relationships at all. We've gotta have men in our lives, right? You know, one of the things that we saw in Ever
1: Forward, and, and, and after this, we'll jump into our masks. I think that we're in that really great space. I saw young men who would, they will be at our meetings every week. Then, you know, they start building confidence in themselves, building like when people can feel it. People can feel when you start yeah. believing in yourself a little bit more. Yeah. They'll, they'll find a girlfriend who noticed them. They're like, and then they stop coming to meetings. They yeah. stop coming to the meetings. And I'm like, dude, where you been? Oh, yeah. My girl wants to spend time with me at lunch. I'm like, it's one, one day a week. We meet at lunch. It's like 40, 45 minutes. Like you got to yeah. tell her that you have something to do and they're that pull from them to believe that I can't leave her alone, I have to be with her, which I get it. I 100% get it. Right. What ends up happening is when that relationship ends and oftentimes they do. Yeah. The they have a their ego gets engaged because now they're like they don't, they they feel nervous about coming back to the circle. Yeah. But i have always I've always kept the door open. I've never yeah. like said no you can't come. But what happens is now they're like embarrassed they got this embarrassment like oh the, the, the relationship ended now i'm gonna go back to the room well they're gonna be like why weren't you here oh because you're not with your girl no more now you want to be back with us and it begins the pressure sometimes even in the supportive places to be like oh you left us hanging and now you want to come back and be like you friends. like it becomes a double cycle of like well, where, where do i go like <laughs> i want to go back there they're going to give, I got to be willing. They're going to give me some shit because I left them hanging for weeks and yeah. weeks. I didn't go to meetings. Like I, I, I pretend like they didn't exist to pour all my attention over here. And then when that goes away, then I'm like, Oh, I guess I gotta, gotta come back. And then the fear of what that, it, it <laughs>
0: yeah, and that's we, in we, their heads more. That's not your message. than then that's oh, in no. their heads. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you say, and, and you say, what did you learn from this? That's, you right. Know? that's what, right. what did you learn about balance or community or a wider range of connection in your life. That's right. And good learning opportunity, right? In that man. moment. But man, if they've got to get past that initial shame uh, and get back and step back into that room, and that's a hard thing for us to do as men, to step back into the room after we've, after we've done something that has seemingly disconnected us again from from the work. Yeah. Staying in the work is hard, man. It's hard because every time I screw up, I have this part of me that says, you know what? Everybody knows I screwed up. I screwed up. We're just not going to talk about it, and <laughs> and that's that 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 silencing, right? That's that auto. You know, why don't we all just pretend that didn't, ha- you know, that whole thing? But ultimately, if we don't if we don't share what's if we don't share what's going on with us yeah. in a regular way, it's isolating, and that's what we're trained into doing is to isolate ourselves. That's right. Well, let's do it, man. I'm I'm excited.
1: Thank you for for just being a part of the conversation. And mm. uh, you know, so anybody who's out there who's wondering what these masks are, um, the campaign is called the Million Mask Movement. We have a goal of collecting a million masks. You can go online anonymously and create a mask. You know, Mark and I are going to share ours publicly mm. right now. But uh, you can create a mask online. It's one picture, six words. The picture is a representation of a mask, and the six words are. Or it may more be more than six words, but the three words on the front are things that you gladly let people see. And then three things on the back you normally don't let people see. So it can always be more. Don't worry about it. You don't have to change it. I, when I say six words, we're trying to keep it. How do we make people who are like, what am I going to have to write about myself? Well, it's just one picture and six words. How about do we keep it as simple as possible at its basic level? And so uh, we give the guests a chance to decide how they want to do it. Do you want to go first? Do you want to go front, front, back, back? you want to go front? like how, What feels good for you to
0: start? Let's do front, front, back, back. Okay. I like that. Fantastic. And by the way, Asante, ever since I saw you in the mask you live in, I, 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 I have, it, I, it's cool to be able to do this with you. I mean, oh, to do man. this with any man is cool. It's a, this, this process is transcends the people doing it. But but to be able to do it with you like this, I'm like, damn, all right then. <laughs> so I'll start with mine. I have too many words on the front. But oh, I'm, that's beautiful, beautiful. I'm, I'm such a talker. That's um, so beautiful. Can you read any of that? Is I that? I can visible absolutely. I see it all. I'll leave it there for a second. Um, I, um, I I think I present as someone who's uh, who's making the effort. You know, like not. I hope not effortful, but making the effort. Who's emotional? I feel like I'm. I, I appear emotional, and that I'm curious and playful. And my intent is to try to be real. So that's my. That's my front. Awesome. so uh
1: mine is i wrote funny serious and hard working so i know i have a teacher handwriting sometime. um you know i i really like to keep things light i think i learned trying to be funny when i was younger when things were didn't always feel Mm -hmm. like they were funny (laughs) or fun i tried to like lighten up the situation i always wanted you know i wasn't a class clown because i knew I was, I had a vision of like what I was supposed to do when I got to high school, but
0: mm-hmm. I was very
1: serious. Like I was very serious, like intense, like I'm stay quiet for a while, but when it's my turn, when it's my turn, like I'm I'm coming with it, you know, um, yeah. and hardworking. Like I, I just really have always been a person who like really, I, I knew that if I was going to get out of Oakland growing up poor, that I was going to have to work harder than anyone around me and wow. that to get out of there to, was going to have to take be dramatic because i hadn't seen many people get out of there right so it's like if it's going to happen i'm gonna have to do it and you know my mom you know i didn't know until i was like 15 that my mom had went to college We, we just didn't talk about it like you know i was the oldest i was responsible for a lot of things at home i didn't even know i knew she was a teacher but i was like i didn't think that I didn't think about teachers like you had to go to college to be a teacher. I just thought you just start talking and, and you're teaching, right? And so um, hardworking was really a push. And then I realized, okay, I got to work even harder because if my mom went to college and we're broke, then I better work harder because that career ain't going to help you achieve richness, you know? And mm-hmm. I realized that I started pushing myself even harder because I was like, well, college is just not enough, you know? Just going yeah. to college and getting a degree. Cause if you can go to college and still be barely making it, God. then then I needed to like figure out how to not only go to college but somehow do something even more miraculous, you know. So
0: that's the front. That's you. That's you carrying the extra weight of a of, of, a, of a society that's that's just brutal if you're not white and male, you know. And that yeah. that that the the things that'll, that that sort of passed me through you had to work against to get past, right? And that's the distinction that, I mean, everything that we're doing in this conversation and everything we're talking about in terms of masculinity is intertwined with with race and power and all these other issues. And men who seek to do men's work can't do, can't make it just about connection. It's also gotta be about uh, justice and, and what is fair and right for women and, and uh, for the people who don't look like us. and and all of that, and I, uh, I've been in the masculinity conversation for a while. And Paul kivell said to me, "Hey, you know, you're doing great work, Mark, but you're not talking about race." And and I was like, "Oh yeah, well, uh, can I just avoid that because it's kind of a big subject?" And he and you know what I discovered when I tr- started entering into that part of the conversation was um, there was a lot of a lot of black men who were talking about masculinity. But nobody knew about him because, you know, when you talk to a black man about masculinity, this is, was told to me by them. Uh, it takes about five minutes to get to racism, and that's not a conversation all the white guys want to have. You know, we're all having this conversation up here uh, about masculinity, but uh, but it's a deep it's a deep well, and uh, and I I thank you for being this this open voice. Uh, about all of these issues and, uh, which brings me to the backside of my mask. Okay. Um, you know, we get to perform, uh, especially me speaking and talking about masculinity a lot of the time I, I get to perform this, um, this guy who's sort of got it together a little bit, sort of done a little bit of the, the work, whatever. Um, the back of my mask, um, has all that on it and thank you uh the word that really stands out for me is grief yeah and the grief that i carry every day is that like i told you earlier it took me till i was 56 to start i mean i wrote about masculinity for, spoke about it for eight or nine years and yeah. i looked up one day and said yeah that's it's all out there haven't done anything in here and when I finally did it a lot of things broke loose for me I found some connection but I'm still processing the grief that I wasted half a century of my life Mm -hmm. not getting to this sooner right not getting to this work I meet I meet men who are doing the work in their 20s and I'm thinking my god how did they get there that fast how did they get there right yeah. And uh, so the grief I carry, I have to live with. And, and it's not easy. And I'm and I'm working to move past it because I don't want it to define the last 20 or 30 years of my life. But um, but it's a heavy lift. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that.
1: Um, well, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk about part of that. So here's mine. <laughs> I'll translate It says fear <laughs> of failure, sadness and childhood trauma. Um, when you talk about grief, I think grief really deeply is connected to when I talk about fear and sadness, like, you know, my father died before I was born. And I, and I say in audiences when I speak, I'm like, I wish I could turn it off that when I saw a man with his son that I don't feel it. Like, I wish I could be like, eh, that's so cute. And be like disconnected from it. And I, and I'm constantly working on that part, that, that feeling of, emptiness and loneliness that man i really because i think that what happened growing up was my mom did the best she could but she could only teach me the skills she had of growing up to being a woman and what she thought a good man looks like or acts like but she didn't i mean kind and nice and caring and loving and gentle and responsible and can cook and clean and open the door for elders like those are all great qualities Mm -hmm. but when in the city i lived in if you do all those things people like why are you smiling so much? Why are you so nice? Why are you always helping people? Why don't you just, you know, like, I'm like, I was always in that mode because that's how I was raised to be. And I think that in in growing up, you had to learn how to turn them off because you can't be too nice. You can't be too kind. You can't be too caring. Somebody falls in the playground. I want to go and help them up. I'm like, oh man, he's hurt. Like somebody's hurt. And they're like, get off me. Like, I'm like, Oh, right. What, what You're are, making me look weak. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> like, what, what, and those are those things. But I think that when I think about the, the when you said the word grief, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's I, I feel that emptiness there sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and I think that um, when I meet young people and, I, and a lot of the young men in our program, you know, we have young people with both parents who have fathers in home, but there's no connection. You have some who have great relationship with their fathers and you have some who have, don't have fathers at all. So all in between. Yes. And I and I and I connect to them in so many different ways around, man. And I think that those opportunities that continue, like helping young people recognize that you, you're going to get through it. Like you had a father who was there and then t- left w- while you were young. Like there's going to be things that you may start doing to protect yourself from that feeling again. Right. Yeah. And how do we support our, our young people and as they grow into ad- adult young men and men to be like, how do we not let those subroutines, those um, those patterns? I think there's a quote, and I think it's young, but I'm not sure. It says, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will rule our lives and we'll call it fate. Right? Because mm-hmm. if I'm acting in a certain way to keep my feelings protected so I don't let people get close, then I'm protecting myself based on some old stories that I tell myself yeah. or the stories that happened that I needed to protect myself then. So now as an adult, I still play those same routines. Don't let anybody get too close because they may leave, they may hurt you and mm. therefore, and all the relationships are very surface level. And um, yeah, so, I, so those are the, that's what I thought of when, when you said the grief and it made me think of a lot of sadness. We, we
0: live the stories we tell mm. and we can change our story. We can make a new story. But it goes against everything we've been taught. We're taught that we're these static, consistent entities, right? That we're men and men, we know what a man is. And our job is to prove that we are a man. And that's a static, defined thing. But human beings are actually constantly emerging, right? We, We emerge in relationship to others. So this relational process, this back and forth of talking... As I'm shaping you, you're shaping me. That's the, that's the true and fundamental nature of how we are emergent. When we teach boys to hide their emotions, when we teach boys to not connect, emotions emerge in the back and forth of relating. They em- My emotions aren't born fully in me. They're born when you speak to me and I speak back. And depending on what we say, that conversation can can turn me angry or upset, or it can make me feel warm and connected. So emotions emerge between us. And we tell boys, don't show your emotions. What we're essentially doing is cutting them off from learning how to form relationships. We're isolating them. And that's what man box culture is sort of designed to do. Because once we cut them off from connection, then we say, hey, if you want to be validated, it's not going to happen in relationships. That, yeah. We've ended that for you. But you can be validated by proving you can dominate others. And so then we get slotted into that hierarchical thing and we spend the rest of our time trying to prove we can make more money or do whatever. And the game goes on for a couple of generations cause we're like, oh, well now I'm validated cause I got married or now I'm validated cause I got a house or now I'm validated because I make more money than Bob down the hall. Yeah. And that's a that's a trick. It tricks us into another couple of decades you know, of, of spinning our wheels. But when you come back to human connection, um, whenever you get to that and people who get to their men's work when they're 20 are looking at a vastly different life than the one that i had i have i'm on my third marriage i had two marriages fail because everything i was asking of my partner was coming out of that empty space in me where i that i could not fill and that they could not fill so we got to be we got to be thoughtful about you know what it is that that our lives are going to look like as men and how much we're going to buy into these ideas that we're We're here to compete with each other. Right. It's crazy. And imagine like even today with all the conversations
1: and the rhetoric happening around our world. Right. If if I constantly feed myself a belief that this is this is what I believe and I don't need to hear any other voices, what I don't believe, then it creates in us a space of like, I'm going to just bring people around me that are going to say what I want to hear and mm-hmm. act like I want them to act. And therefore, we begin to be, we our minds get weakened in being able to navigate dissonance. Yeah. So so therefore, if now I don't ever have to hear, right? I mean, now, I mean, I think it, it, I've heard in the old days, there was only like these four channels, right? There was like channel two, channel four, channel five, and channel seven, right? And those <laughs> were you got your news, now, yeah, yeah, I can pull up my phone. I got a 20-year-old telling me about the news in their form, and it sounds like what I may want to hear. And therefore I just keep listening to that. I keep listening to the people who For say people what know. I wanted them to hear. And therefore, now all the all the noise is like when somebody says something that doesn't match what I want to hear, I'm like, I either dismiss them or I just tell them they're wrong because ultimately I have not gotten practice in recognizing that there are different ways of being and thinking and and showing up, you know? And I think those are. The ha-
0: wow. having having a lack of that really creates a lot of challenge well I you know we talk um, sometimes about this idea that um, once you set yourself in stone once you decide what you are mm. then the world keeps giving you i mean your your experience of life what the people around you are telling you will constantly challenge that idea because it's simply not right we we evolve and change over time right yeah And the longer we try to stay on that one definition of self, the more the world moves past us and the more the anxiety gets created every time. I mean, we have our own experiences of life and we go, this does not fit with how I've defined myself. So I'm going to pretend that doesn't exist. And we begin to cover everything that that doesn't fit. And the anxiety gets worse and worse and worse. So men start drinking and they start trying to have sex to to solve that problem. And all of this self-medicating goes on. And then we start expressing anger all the time. It's just because who we are is actually moving on in the world. And we're stuck back here trying to hold this one spot, right? This is me. This is what a man is. And that and that that tension gets stronger and stronger and stronger until something snaps. Yeah. And then we catch up to ourselves. We have to do the work. We have to wake up. Or we die. You know, yeah. we get killed. Some we, we enter in an act of violence that we don't we don't survive, or we we overdose or we do whatever we're going to do. But if you feel that tension in your life, something's not right, yeah. listen to it. It's yeah. telling you something real, right? That's right. That's right. It's telling you something real.
1: Just just thinking about back to the, when you said that you didn't start the men's work until you were 56 in your 50s. Do you remember what it was? That Was, was there like a moment or was it like a series of moments? Because you probably had started listening to your own self inside saying, there's more to what I. Oh can man, lose. I was
0: like, I'm not doing that. No, nope. okay. no way. Mm-mm. I don't want. I don't need to be in a cult. I don't need to be in some weird. You know, uh, Boyce and Hodson is was my problem. He kept coming back because I was writing into masculinity. So he and I had had some conversations about the work, and he would just show up occasionally and go, "Yeah, you really ought to do the weekend." And I was like, "Yeah, right. I ain't doing that," you know. And and I really was absolutely refusing to do it and then one day i said to myself what are you so afraid of and, and afraid is such a useless word what is it in your gut that is telling you no i don't want i used to call it going down to the basement right yeah there was some there was a five-year-old down there and he was pissed and he was down there and i knew he was down there and i knew someday i had to go down there and and talk to him because there was so much anger down there Shanti I and so I would walk down those stairs you know and I'd hear the chains start rattling down there behind that cellar door and I'd hear this growling and I'd say okay maybe next week I'll do that and I go back up the stairs right yeah. for, for decades I did that yeah oh man and finally Boyson mm-hmm. was like you know you really ought to do, and I was like whoa so I did the work so I did this thing and 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 absolutely right up to the moment where I stepped in the door there and I heard a man say, men are waiting. At that moment, I just let myself go. I said, I'm here and I'm all in. You know, I'm not gonna be like skeptical about any of this, but to get myself there, it took an act of a willingness to, to deal with that, that voice in the basement, that thing down there. And that thing, uh, that thing and I, uh, we, we shook hands And Mm. we have come to some kind of an understanding now. And I I embrace that angry child. And I say to him, you were little. yeah. You didn't have the power to fight those people off. And you cannot continue to hold yourself responsible. It's okay. I love you. Come on back in. You couldn't have stopped it even if you'd wanted to. It's not your fault. Because we as men, when we get traumatized and messed with, The hardest person to forgive isn't the person who did the violence to us. We can't forgive ourselves because we let it happen. And we were tiny little children, and we still can't forgive ourselves for letting it happen. And that's the work for me. That was the work for me, you know? Thank you. No, thank you. You know, um,
1: when you talk... (laughs) You know why I can't write the book? It's because. I don't want to face that eight year old. I've been slowly having conversations with him. Like, it's not your fault.
0: Mm. I've
1: been slowly trying to let him speak. But he's so scared. He's mm. so scared. And I remember being in my weekend, been on the carpet, and seeing men break free, like take – and I went out there, and I was like, "Yep, nope, he's not ready." Mm. And so I just told some story about work or something that I was made me upset, and dealt with it there. But mm. I couldn't, I couldn't get in there. I couldn't get in there. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. Mm. And just recently, um, I did a storytelling thing in February where I've told it for the first time, like in front of a, a small audience. Uh, and it was because of the COVID that the audience wasn't a big audience because they were, they changed the event like really overnight. And, um and slowly since then, since February, maybe it was February or March, I think it was maybe March or February, but I slowly began to like ask him questions. Mm. Right. And so thank you for speaking to that. And I, and I knew, I knew I was in one weekend one men's initiation weekend where they said, here's a men they're in the basement. And you, you know, this idea of like, why are you in the basement? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to talk about this, right? <laughs> and I, and, I, and I'm—I I got good masks, right? I got good masks. I'm a hard worker. I'm—I'm I'm serious. I got—I'm yep. doing. I think I'm doing really good work. And yep. i and I'm all about helping others. And I think that the fear is that I—and some of the sadness is that I haven't given myself
0: the same type of attention. Yeah, I haven't right. allowed others to. Amen. That was me yeah. I was writing books. I was talking, yeah. doing good work, doing fine work, but Oof. that stone in my gut, that, that, that rock was, was there. And that thing in the basement was there. And you know, when you try to turn toward it, when you try to orient what my experience of trying to orient that, to that, my entire body would start reacting, sweat on my palms, my heart rate going up. My sense, its like a version of nausea. That's your soul, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a version of of being sick to your stomach. That is that is coming out of your own soul, and your sense of I can't, I cannot step closer to it. It 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 will be the end of me. I can't yeah, do it.
1: Yeah. That
0: feeling. Uh, w- w- is funny. I I did the MKP weekend, and I. I think the the kindness and compassion that the men there showed me had some sort of an influence on that but i did the i did what was called a sweat lodge at the end of that process yeah. and in that space at the very end of the the thing and i uh, you know the sweat lodge is a dark space with hot they take rocks they make them super hot they put them on the ground and then they put Uh, water on them to create sweat in this space. And the men sit in there quietly and reflect. And I sat there thinking about everything that happened to me in that process, a beautiful process. And I'm looking at this one red hot rock, right? And they throw a little bit of water on it and it cracks. It just goes pink and falls into two pieces. And I thought, well, there it is. It's still there, but now I got two pieces. And the smaller pieces, I think I can work with, right? I think yeah. I can deal with this stone in, and uh, which was the other symbol besides this creature in the basement, mm-hmm. this stone. And that's men's work, man. You take one, just one, break it just once, just one yeah. time to begin, yeah. and then and then rely on the love of the men around you to to help you keep going. But- yeah, yeah. Ooh
1: wee, wow. Oh man! <laughs> thank you. Uh, is there anything else on, that you feel like? I, I man, I, I want to just thank you for for opening that up. Opening that up. That um, yeah, I huh. yeah.
0: Well, there you was, go. Was,
1: the mask is such a powerful. I, I think that what we've seen in this work is that mm. um, some some people who uh, overthink. The, when I tell them what we're gonna do with students and how we're gonna b- build this connection, mm-hmm. I think they think it's too simple. They're mm-hmm. like, "What, what, what is six, what are six words gonna do? What is?" Yeah, I was like, "Well, how, how about we start with you? How about you make a mask?" <laughs> and then you realize how, when these adults who have had all this education and knowledge yeah. begin to try and think about, they're like, "Oh, okay." Well, and then you just rec- you help them recognize how deeply we have been trained mm. to not ever talk about it. So, therefore, when we get asked about it, we could feel like I'm prying. Like, why are you prying? I'll do it later. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. do it later. I'll do it later. Right? You oh, yeah, see the you see principles. They're like, oh, I'll, I'll do it later. They they put the card to the side. If They read what they have to do. They're like, oh, I'll do I'll do it. I'll do it in the evening, right? And they may and they may. But but what you what you know hit them when they read it. They were like. Oh, this is talking about real stuff yeah and i think that uh so thank you for sp- talking about those real things and and yeah i didn't i didn't plan to even be in that right there today i mean i I'm always i'm always letting it go it's not an interview that's why it's I, good as an
0: interview it's just it goes wherever it's supposed to go and i, I appreciate the process that. that with you and with this um inspires that human side of me to to go ahead and say what's on my mind and uh and uh, these moments are what make being uh, a man in this world livable for me in a rich way a really valuable way so thank you for making that available to us today i mean that's you know it it's relational it's two people we co-created that that's how human beings do what we do yeah so thank thank you for Thank you for taking off the mask with us today.
1: You know, anyone out there, if you want to create a mask, you can go to 100kmasks.com. You can create your mask anonymously um, and you can see masks from all over the world uh, that people have created with one picture and six words of self-reflection, connection. And just like right here, that that wasn't planned. I didn't plan that, but I encourage you, don't keep it to yourself. Uh, thank you for being here, Mark. And uh, we were so glad to have you. We look forward to staying in connection again. Absolutely. And look, f-
0: look forward to the new book. And uh, I look forward to staying uh, connected to you in this work. All right. If anybody wants to come find me, I'm at RemakingManhood.com. And, and, and where, where other places can they find you? So RemakingManhood.com. Is there any social media places you want us to? I'm Remaking Manhood pretty much everywhere. All Twitter, right. Instagram, all those places. Fantastic. So. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks, Shanti. Here. I'll see you, Thank you. Soon in person, I hope. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. All man. right, man. All right.
1: If what you heard today you enjoyed, if you've listened to this and you found something inspiring, please like and subscribe to this podcast. That's the best way for someone to uh, find this podcast, maybe like you did. Uh, please tell someone about it if you know listen to some of our previous episodes and if one of them rings out to you please share it with somebody you know uh, we also invite people to join us in a face-to-face where they come together with another person to make a mask and talk about that mask together there's short conversations about 20 30 minutes so if that's something that's interesting to you please uh, send us a message send us a, in the comments below let us know that you're interested in that and we look forward to you joining the movement of the Million Mask Movement. And check out our new shirt. I don't know if you can can see it, but this is our new shirt, the Million Mask Movement. And so uh, we'll have these soon available, uh, but we look forward to you being a part of the movement and supporting our work. Uh, Please consider supporting the work that we do in Ever Forward and in the work uh, that we do in the Million Mask Movement to let people around the world realize that they're not alone. Thank you.